President Trump now getting a second chance to draw a record-breaking crowd to the National Mall. The lead starts right now. Forget fireworks, President Trump wants some tanks, and he's going to get them for his 4th of July spectacle. As critics worry, the celebration of America might be turning into a celebration of Trump. Breaking news, we're unveiling our new CNN poll right here on The Lead. What Americans think about President Trump and the crisis at the border? The responses might surprise you. Plus, Nike, Colin Kaepernick, and the Betsy Ross American flag. Why Arizona's governor now wants to kick Nike to the curb. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin today with our politics lead and some fireworks about the 4th of July, specifically Whether President Trump's planned celebration Thursday will result in the politicizing of both American Independence Day and the U.S. military. A parade showcasing American military might, including battle tanks, armored vehicles, and elite U.S. fighter jets, will be on full display in what the White House calls a salute to America. The president will also break with tradition and address the nation directly from the National Mall that evening. Critics contend that Mr. Trump is going Way too far in deploying the military as a partisan prop, in their view, making himself a centerpiece of the celebration, reportedly doling out VIP seats through the Trump campaign and through the RNC, and that American taxpayers will end up footing the bill for this over-the-top extravaganza. CNN's Tom Foreman is at the Lincoln Memorial on the National Mall for us right now. And Tom, not surprisingly, the White House is defending the plans as a simple display of patriotism. Yeah, that's what they're saying, Jake. And truthfully, on any normal 4th of July, this area would be absolutely filled with thousands of people out here to watch the fireworks down the National Mall as they went off. Now the fireworks have been moved and all the lights and all attention will be directed to a stage up here where the center of attention will be Donald Trump. The iconic fireworks over the National Mall will be moved to a new spot. All flights will be grounded at Washington's Reagan National Airport for more than two hours. And three times the usual number of National Guard troops will be deployed for security. Also, President Donald Trump can be the centerpiece for D.C.'s 4th of July celebration, giving an unprecedented speech at the Lincoln Memorial. We're going to have a great 4th of July in Washington, D.C. It'll be like no other... For all the costly changes, it's still not precisely what he wanted early on. A grand military parade as seen in some other countries, such as France, Russia and North Korea. But cost estimates for that plan quickly ran into tens of millions of dollars. The D.C. City Council, mindful of expensive street damage, howled, no tanks. The Park Service has remained quiet about how much it will cost to take on the additional requirements. And the Pentagon is not discussing the price tag. For a flyover by the Blue Angels, a plane that serves as Air Force One, some other aircraft, and a couple of tanks and troop carriers that will also be there, but simply parked near the mall. We want to bring millions of people into the city, and we want people to come who love our country. Those are the people we want. The president tweeting, the Pentagon and our great military leaders are thrilled after asking the chiefs of every branch to stand with him during the celebration. The Pentagon not saying which, if any, are going. And adding to the frustration of those who claim the traditionally nonpartisan event is being hijacked by Team Trump, 
The White House and the Republican National Committee are reportedly giving VIP access to favored friends and colleagues. Democrats say on this scorching week, they are largely being frozen out. The White House response? This is a public event. It's open to the public. That said, one part of the public they may not be so happy to see, the people who operate the baby Trump balloon have secured a permit, and the baby Trump balloon will also be flying over the festivities here. Jake? All right, Tom Foreman at the National Mall, thanks so much. Joining me now is retired four-star Army General Stanley McChrystal, who served as commander of all U.S. and international forces in Afghanistan. General McChrystal, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Um, What do you make of this? This certainly is a deviation from what we've done here on the 4th of July in the nation's capital for decades. Well, when I think of the 4th of July, I think of the celebration of the concept of nation. And nothing's more central than that than the concept of citizenship and serving the nation. I do think it's fine to honor people who serve the nation. But actually, only 29% of our young people are qualified to enlist in our military. 71% couldn't if they wanted to. Why couldn't we pretend potentially have some city years, some Peace Corps, some AmeriCorps volunteers up there, honor them. You know, tanks, planes, they're things. They're not the sinew of the nation. And that's what I'd like to see honored. I know you want to talk about your national service proposal, and I want to get to that in a second. But let me just ask you a couple questions, because you obviously spent a great deal of time in the military. The president tweeted today, quote, The Pentagon and our great military leaders are thrilled to be doing this and showing to the American people, among other things, the strongest and most advanced military anywhere in the world. Um, Do you think that's true? (laughs) Military leaders are thrilled about this? And and what would you be advising President Trump uh, beyond having people who serve in other capacities beyond the military to be there? Well, I won't speak for military leaders, but I will say that they are very proud of the young men and women who serve alongside them and for them. But we prove that on the battlefield. We prove that around the world. I don't think we need to bring them onto the National Mall to justify their effectiveness. Would you want to be there uh, if you were still in uniform? Would you want to be sitting there while tanks are on display and, and elite planes and, and other things are being brought out in this way? If my soldiers were forced to come on a holiday and stand in the sun to do an event, I'd want to be there alongside them. Um, Let me ask you about a couple other issues in in, uh, the foreign policy realm. Iran just breached the limit of nuclear fuel production as dictated by that 2015 nuclear deal, which the U.S. has withdrawn from. Uh, The president pulled back on a retaliatory strike that he was preparing for after Iran shut down a U.S. drone. Do you think that some sort of military confrontation with Iran is going to happen? Well, I don't think it's necessary, but I think it's highly likely and dangerous that it occurs. One of the things we have to do is back off and look at this through Iranian eyes. If we go back to 1953 and the overthrow of Prime Minister Mossadegh, the Iranians have a perspective. It may not be what we agree with, but it is a logical, rational perspective. And as long as we shout at each other over the transom and assume that the other just isn't listening, I think the chance of an accidental problem, such as the shoot down of the Iranian uh, airliner back in the 1980s, could easily happen. And that'd be tragic. Um, Let's talk about this initiative to encourage uh, the candidates running for president in 2020 to come up with plans to expand uh, national service. What do you want to see the Democrats do? And and let me also add, this comes at the same time that there's a Gallup poll finding less than half of respondents are extremely proud to be American, the lowest level uh, in about 20 years. I think we're questioning how we feel about our nation and about ourselves. I think it's time for us to look at citizenship and say, often that comes with having contributed to the nation 
Think of how you feel if someone thanks you for something you do. I've been thanked countless times for my service, but in reality, there are so many people never given that opportunity. So what I want is to give the equal opportunity for every young person in America to serve. Most aren't right for the military, but there's ways we can all serve. They have to get an opportunity to do a year of fully paid service. We need to pay because you don't want it limited to people whose families can support it in something that matters so that we build better citizens in the long run. We heal the divides. What I'm challenging and the organization that I'm a small part of is challenging the candidates for presidency to stand on this. And what I'm challenging CNN to do is in the upcoming July debate, ask the question on the debate floor. Make every candidate tell us where they stand. All right, General McChrystal, thanks so much. It's always good to see you, and happy 4th of July, sir. You're kind. Allow me to thank you for your service. Thanks, Jake. Today, Counselor to the President Kellyanne Conway was asked how much the President's July 4th festivities will cost American taxpayers. I don't know. You'd have to ask the DOD, I assume. But if you want a list of the things taxpayers actually pay for that they find to be outrageous, I can give you that, too. This is a public event. It's open to the public. The public is welcome to come and celebrate our great country. The Constitution, all the amendments, not just the First Amendment that seems to only interest you only, the Second Amendment, all the others. I'm not going to allow you to politicize it. That was Kellyanne Conway uh, when asked uh, how much it's going to cost. Jen Psaki... um, she was certainly very fired up. What do you make of it? She often is fired up. Um, you know, one of my uh, honors of serving in government as long as I did was getting to know a lot of men and women in the military, being in meetings with them, traveling around the world. The people who do not want to chest thump or don't think we need to chest thump is the American military, the men and women who are serving. You know that well, too, Jake. You've spent a lot of time with them as well. I think General McChrystal answered that question quite gracefully. But the fact is, what President Trump is trying to do here is use the men and women who are serving overseas, who are defending our country, as political props, as we know, because the RNC is selling tickets to this event. That's not normal. When I was serving in the White House, and I'm certain before I was there with past presidents, We invited men and women who were serving and their families to the White House to have a private event. We fed everyone. We gave everyone drinks. And we had a, um, you know, an event with with a band and President Obama and I'm sure President Bush and others before him spoke to them privately. That's appropriate. This is not just uh, I don't know if the RNC is selling the tickets or if they're giving them away. It's certainly questionable that the RNC is being given tickets. They're using it to their advantage. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Doug, do you understand why Democrats are concerned with how President Trump is handling this? And General McChrystal mm-hmm. diplomatically seemed to express some concern as well. Sure. I have concerns as well when you hear about tanks coming up on the streets in Washington. That's not typically how we celebrate July 4th. But I also caution everyone. This is what we always do to Donald with Donald Trump. Yeah, there's an old Frank Sinatra song. I've heard that song before. We hear this song with Trump all the time. He breaks a norm. We criticize the norm. Trump uses that criticism to say, you're questioning my patriotism. It's what he rallies around. It's the cultural fight that he wants, whether it's this, whether it's uh, what we saw in the debate with all the Democrats raising their hands for insurance for illegal immigrants, for health care, or whether it's Nike and Betsy Ross, which nobody would have thought of 48 hours ago. Mm -hmm. This is the fight that he wants. I mean, I don't necessarily think that there's a question of whether Donald Trump is patriotic. I think we can agree that Donald Trump is patriotic and also that this is a vanity play more than anything else. I mean, I was there when he saw this military parade in in 
France, and he could not get over it. And ever since then, he's been asking people about the logistics of driving a tank down Pennsylvania Avenue. And ever since then, people have been explaining you can't drive a tank down Pennsylvania Avenue because you will not have Pennsylvania Avenue. That's not a matter of patriotism. That's just a matter of wanting to show off that, you know, our military is bigger than yours. We have bigger tanks than you do. We have better tanks than you do. And that's not really, I mean, what the 4th of July is supposed to be about. And, Laura, the protesters will be out there, as Tom Foreman mentioned before, uh, the National Park Service has issued a permit to a group to, uh, to fly the baby Trump blimp on the National uh, Mall. So that also adds to the politics of this uh, in the sense that not only will President Trump be speaking and who knows what he'll say, uh, maybe it will be completely appropriate and, and, uh, and modest. Anything could happen. But also there'll be Trump protesters. Right. It adds to the politics of the spectacle. And, and I'm not sure that the blimp is actually allowed to fly. I think that there's some concerns with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I I mean, to Sarah's point, one of the concerns that a lot of Pentagon officials have said that they have about this is that, uh, and military officials have said that they have, is the comparisons that will be drawn to authoritarian countries like North Korea and like China. Um, And so that's what they're worried about with this big spectacle of trying to show military might. And, and uh, Jen, uh, President Trump claimed that military leaders are thrilled to be participating in this. You heard General McChrystal say... Uh, if his soldiers were being forced to work on a national holiday and sweat, that he would join them. But that certainly didn't sound like he would, he would have been thrilled. Newt Gingrich, a supporter of the president's, told The New York Times, quote, what kind of idiot do you have to be to complain that the president wants to celebrate the founding of our country? Well, I don't think this is how you celebrate the founding of our country. Uh, there are many holidays, for good reason, that celebrate men and women who have served. And the current military, the former military, we should absolutely continue to do that. I don't really take Trump at his word uh, because my experience from serving 10 years in government is that the military does not need to prove their prowess. They don't need to chest beat. We do have the best military in the world, but it's not appropriate for many reasons, including the important point you just raised about dictatorships in comparison to other countries. But it's also just not who we are. The appropriate way to celebrate is to take politics out of it, have a barbecue. As I mentioned before, bring men and women of all backgrounds to the White House and celebrate them there. Uh, this is certainly politicizing an important national holiday. Everyone stick around. We've got a lot more breaking news. CNN has some brand new numbers about one of the most divisive issues in the U.S. right now. Plus, more breaking news, new upsetting images from border detention facilities in Texas released by the government's own watchdog. Stay with us. And we have some breaking news on our national lead. The watchdog for the Department of Homeland Security just released these disturbing pictures from the U.S. border with Mexico. The images show overcrowding of facilities at a detention center in McAllen, Texas. In one photo, people are crammed inside a fenced-in cell, and others what looks to be children wrapped in some sort of aluminum-type cover. The photos are dated June 10th and 11th, just a few weeks ago. And the photos are coming as we get brand-new CNN poll numbers. It shows most Americans, 74%, agree that the situation at the U.S.-Mexico border is a crisis, but they differ on why the split is right down party lines. Look at this. Most Democrats, 54 percent, consider this a crisis because of the treatment of migrants. 63 percent of Republicans, however, believe the number of migrants trying to cross the border is the reason for the crisis. Let's bring in Democratic Congresswoman Madeline Dean of Pennsylvania. She was among a group of lawmakers who visited two border facilities in Texas yesterday. She visited a migrant detention facility in Homestead, Florida today. Uh, Congresswoman, good, good to see you as always. Tell me what you saw when you visited these facilities. Well, thank you, Jake. I had the opportunity in Texas to visit El Paso Station Number 1, uh, where uh, we visited and, and got into the cell of 15 women uh, who had just been brought in from outside. 
they have been there 56 days. Most of the first cell of women were from Cuba. Uh, many of them had cracked lips. They were sitting on concrete, a concrete floor in a very small uh, jail cell uh, with blue sleeping bags, which apparently were just issued to them uh, as a donation from the Forestry Service uh, very, very recently. Prior to that, they had been either outside or in tented facilities uh, for the 56 days prior to our arrival that morning. Uh, they were crying. Their affect was sad, profoundly sad, scared. Uh, in that cell uh, was a stainless steel toilet. We tried to operate the sink. Uh, when the sink didn't operate, the women said to us, no, that sink isn't working. Uh, we were told we can drink out of the toilets. That's clean water. And that is what they had been doing. Uh, Congresswoman uh, Frederica Wilson, a uh, Democrat who hosted the tour at Homestead today, uh, said that you were only able to go to a classroom in an empty dorm. Were there efforts to try to show you more of the Homestead facility? They certainly wanted to show us a lot of the property. Uh, we went to a very large auditorium-styled uh, facility that was empty. Uh, we saw children playing in a playground at a distance. Uh, we went into one area. I said, where's the educational facilities? And somebody said, you were just in it. I, I missed that. I saw no curriculum. Saw sweet, sweet young children seated at long uh, cafeteria-styled tables. Uh, and there was a moment, I have to tell you, Jake, where John Lewis, I asked him if he wanted to speak to the children, and we brought over an interpreter, and he very movingly, and I have a piece of the tape uh, that I'd be happy to share with you, uh, very movingly told the children of his experience meeting Martin Luther King, speaking about building a better America for people of all color, speaking about justice for all people. And he said, please don't become bitter. Don't become discouraged. Uh, we will make this a better place, and you are most welcome. Um, that was the only real time we had with children whatsoever. And when I said I'm a little disappointed, I, I'm a former teacher, I'd like to see what you're doing in terms of educating these children uh, mm. while you, you have them for profit. After all, this is a for-profit center. 2,296 uh, students, uh, students uh, detainees, children detainees, are there uh, at a cost of $775 per head per day. Uh, so it's uh, sadly, perversely, a uh, profit-making uh, location. Uh, and that's not to say there aren't terrific people of goodwill trying to help these children, mm -hmm. um, but there's a perverse incentive to hold on to them. Uh, and to my mind, uh, to sanitize what we saw. We saw one empty dormitory, very neatly made up quilted beds, uh, not a personal item around. And when mm -hmm. uh, Joanna Hayes and I decided to go off course and find another dormitory room, uh, to see if it looked differently. Of course, they didn't want us doing that, but we did anyway, and they did look differently. Again, sparse, but not the matching quilts, none of so, that kind of thing. So me, it was a sanitized version. Let me ask you, the Deputy Commissioner of Customs and Border Protection acknowledged today that the system is oversaturated. Saturated. Migrants are staying at these facilities longer than they had been. He did push back on claims of any kind of inhumane treatment of the detainees, of, the, of, the, of migrants. Uh, take a listen. I myself have visited many of these facilities where we're getting overly saturated and have been for the better part of over a year. And I'm very confident that we are meeting and, in fact, uh, at most of the time, exceeding these standards. Do you agree? Could. No. And here's why. And I'll contrast um, the experience with these 15 women. As I say, they were brought in only yesterday. Um, and they were lying on concrete floors and told that their drinking water could be out of the toilet. I don't call that humane. One of the women, uh, they were from Cuba, one of the women who spoke uh, very good English said, I don't mind being called bad names, and I won't use the name she used. 
Um, but I mind being treated like animals. I mind being treated like dogs. Two of us have epilepsy. One woman wanted me to touch her back. Uh, she has a very profound, large lump on her back, and they said, you clearly need a, a, an a, a, a biopsy, uh, but we're not going to be able to provide that to you. Let me contrast that. So there was inhumanity there. Uh, let me contrast that uh, and compare it to the children that we saw. Very importantly, we went to Clint yesterday, uh, a facility that, if you remember, it's, a, it's, it's bedded for 106 adult males. Uh, when we came in, we were told there were 25 children in that facility. I asked, uh, didn't you have quite a few more two weeks ago? Yes. Two weeks ago, they had 250. I said, what was your top number at this facility meant for 106 males, adult males? They topped 700 two and a half months ago. Mm -hmm. So I was haunted all night long. Where did the other 600 and so go? What we saw there, Jake, uh, we were not able to get into the cell that the children were being held in. Six children held in a similar concrete cell behind a thick, heavy door, behind glass. And we tried to shout in. Someone shouted in to them that we were members of Congress there, hoping to help them, hoping to learn, as John Lewis says, but also hoping to help them. Uh, and when I actually, I scribbled this note uh, on a piece of paper and held it up to the glass, mm. and the guard corrected me. The note simply says, we heart you, we love you. And the children smiled. You know what they did? Mm. They passed a note under the floor, uh, under the door. Mm -hmm. uh, and we got in trouble. The guard worried we were sending something. The children sent us a note out. And the note said, how can we help you? The children wanted to help us. That's inhumanity. Children in a cage in, behind glass, unable to speak to leaders of Congress. Democratic Congresswoman Madeline Dean, thank you so much for telling us what you saw. We really appreciate it. Thank you. More breaking news from that freshly released CNN poll, the president's latest approval ratings. That's next. And we're back with breaking news, specifically our brand new CNN poll on the Trump presidency. President Trump's approval rating seems to be holding steady. 43% of the public says they approve how President Trump is handling his job. 52% disapprove. His approval rating in January was lower than that, 37 percent. It has since inched up, inched up and is now holding steady at 43 for the last three months. When you compare President Trump to past presidents at this point in their presidencies, June in their third year in office, Trump is still near the bottom when it comes to approval ratings, topping only Jimmy Carter in 1979. And with President Trump making moves on North Korea and Iran, CNN's Pamela Brown now reports from the White House on what voters think of the president's foreign policy. President Trump laying low today on the heels of his monumental surprise visit with Kim Jong-un in North Korea. This was a very legendary, very historic day. As the president boasts about the surprise meeting, it has also been met with heavy criticism from the left. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer slamming the trip as a propaganda win for North Korea with nothing to show for it. This was one of the worst few days in American foreign policy and American diplomatic history. White House advisor Kellyanne Conway today defended the administration's position. President Obama was handed the Nobel Peace Prize, but President Trump's on his way to actually earning one. And that's because he has an obligation to at least meet with leaders. The president taking to Twitter to call out how good the North Korean leader looked, saying he looked really well and very healthy. I look forward to seeing him again soon. 
A new CNN poll out this hour showing only 40 percent of Americans approve of how Trump is handling North Korea and 37 percent approve of his handling of Iran, which has now exceeded its uranium stockpile limit set in the 2015 Obama administration nuclear deal. The president had a direct warning for the regime. They know what they're doing. They know what they're playing with. And I think they're playing with fire. Thank you. The move is Tehran's first major breach of the accord since Trump withdrew from the agreement last year. And as tensions mount with Iran, the president took aim at another military hotspot, Afghanistan, comparing that country to an Ivy League school as he defended keeping 14,000 troops there. I would like to just get up. The problem is it, it just seems to be a lab for terrorists. It seems, I call it the Harvard of terrorists. And meantime, the battle over President Trump's tax returns escalated today with the House Ways and Means Committee suing the IRS and Treasury for those tax returns. Now, one of the president's lawyers, Jay Sekulow, released a statement saying we will respond to this latest effort at presidential harassment in court. Jake? Pamela Brown at the White House for us. Thanks so much. The 2020 race is heating up in the Hawkeye state as a new Iowa poll has been released. And one of the Democratic candidates is already being urged by his own advisors to drop out. Stay with us. We're back with our 2020 lead and a brand new look at the 2020 race post-debates from the key state of Iowa. Former Vice President Joe Biden continues to lead the pack. He's at 24 percent. But Senator Kamala Harris has soared into second at 16 percent. Senator Elizabeth Warren is in third with 13 percent, followed by Senator Bernie Sanders and 9 percent. Mayor Pete Buttigieg is at 6 percent in the Iowa poll. That new Iowa poll mirrors basically what Democrats across the country are telling CNN in our latest nationwide poll of the Democratic field. As CNN's Jeff Zeleny now reports, the presidential hopefuls are all taking notice. A reset of the 2020 race and a reshuffling in the top tier of the crowded Democratic field. A new Quinnipiac national poll released today showing Joe Biden at 22 percent and Kamala Harris at 20, with Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders not far behind. Those results similar to the findings in CNN's national poll out Monday, both showing Biden's lead diminishing. Aides to Biden say the former vice president always knew he would have a contest, not a coronation. But they did not expect it would happen so quickly after a shaky first debate last week in Miami. Biden foreshadowed this himself not long ago on the campaign trail. I see all these polls they get given to me. They don't mean a thing right now. This is a marathon, and the marathon's just beginning. The increasingly competitive primary fight coming as candidates are preparing to blanket the campaign trail in Iowa for the 4th of July, where a Suffolk University and USA Today poll shows Biden in the lead with Harris on the rise in the state that kicks off the voting in just seven months. Elizabeth Warren also climbing in that poll as Bernie Sanders falls behind the top three contenders. The spotlight shining on Sanders. But not with the kind of attention he's accustomed to, with Iowa and national polls showing losing ground. The Sanders campaign announcing today it raised $18 million over the last three months. He's been surpassed by Pete Buttigieg, who revealed Monday he's raised more than $24 million. Appearing with Jesse Jackson in Chicago today, Buttigieg acknowledging challenges of his own, particularly introducing himself to African-American voters, who are a critical slice of the primary electorate. Look, when you're new on the scene 
and you're not from a community of color. Uh, you got to work much harder in order to earn that trust because trust is largely a function of quantity time. Now, as for Biden, he's entering what his aides see as a critical month of July, with only four weeks before the next Democratic debate, where he hopes to get a second chance to present his argument that he's the strongest Democrat to take on President Trump. Jake? All right, Jeff Zeleny, thanks so much. Everybody, take a look at how the polls in Iowa have changed in just the last month. In June, Biden led, then Sanders, Warren, Buttigieg, Harris. And now Biden is basically a neutral, while Sanders and Buttigieg have lost ground, Warren and Kamala Harris have gained ground. What does that tell you about the state of the the race right now? Well, it tells me that Harris clearly has capitalized on that moment from the debates, that she not only were they able to also turn that into multiple days of news coverage, which then also probably helped her. So that shows that if you can take a risk during the debates, then maybe these candidates want to because that's what she did. She created that moment for herself. It wasn't a specific question asked to her. Also, Warren has been pretty much running this very steady race of consistently reaching out to communities of color, consistently releasing policy proposals that are very detailed. And that's her bet. And it seems to be paying off so far. Do you think what Joe Biden has been doing, basically running this front runners campaign where he doesn't do any interviews, he talks here and there, but doesn't really present any major policy addresses or anything like that, basically just raising a lot of money, it doesn't seem to be working. No, not so far. Uh, I mean, they might argue he's still leading in the polls, sure. but he's certainly bleeding support. I don't think they're surprised that the um, the polls are tightening. Uh, he was he was so far ahead in the yeah. beginning, unnaturally so. But what we saw at the debate, it wasn't just that he had a bad debate. Um, I don't think anyone could watch that and think he did well. Um, it was that he seemed disconnected from the electorate and the issues that were being discussed. And You know, he's somebody who is quite natural with people. He's very good one-on-one. He's very good in groups. He needs to be out there more and be kind of shaking off the cobwebs. I think that alone would help improve his debate performance. But he also needs to have some forward-looking policy proposals to be able to talk about because he didn't have a lot in the caddy to go to that debate with. And I think if he does with the CNN debate coming up in a couple of weeks, that would help him tremendously. The Sanders campaign announced today, uh, Doug, that they raised $18 million in the second quarter that's $7 million less than South Bend, uh, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg raised. A Sanders campaign manager took a jab at Biden's fundraisers and uh, at uh, Buttigieg's saying, quote, this money wasn't raised at a closed door fundraiser where people are eating Parmesan encrusted salmon on toothpicks because uh, he's talking about how he doesn't take money from from certain kinds of, of donors. Yeah, it's hard to actually eat Parmesan-crusted salmon on, on toothpicks. I've tried that. It doesn't work well at, at fundraisers. Messy. Look, this is the struggle, I think, that Bernie Sanders is, is having in this race as he's falling in the polls. He's still raising a lot of money, but other candidates are doing better. Pete Buttigieg has is, is really shown that he can do well. He's harnessing love from donors. He's not doing so well with voters yet. That's going to be his challenge. But for Bernie, you look at the poll numbers, it's, it's emphasizing he's old, he's white, and also that his ideas are kind of old when Elizabeth Warren is putting out plan after plan after plan, as Laura highlighted. And, and Sarah, President Trump raised $105 million in the second quarter. Obama was pretty unprecedented in his time. He raised $85 million uh, during uh, this time of his presidency, $105 million. 
So, I mean, this is American campaigns now. Every year it will be even more money than the last year. And so in some ways that eye-popping number shouldn't be surprising, but it should be a big wake-up call to Democrats if they look back to what Trump was able to do uh, in 2016 on essentially a shoestring budget with a bunch of people who had no idea what they were doing, who had never run a campaign before, and who were throwing this operation together at the last minute. That's not what they're going to be dealing with. They're still going to be dealing with Donald Trump, the phenomenon, but he's going to have money. He's going to have an operation. The party is going to line up behind him. This is not the same sort of discombobulation we saw last time. And they need to be prepared for that. And I think that what we saw in the debates is that, you know, a lot of people, and especially Joe Biden, who looks like they may be the front runners, were not prepared for it. You know, people who got a lot of media attention, Beto, Mayor Pete, they were not prepared for going on that debate stage and, and having these big moments. You know, I think people looked at Mayor Pete talking about uh, him dealing with the, the police force in his hometown and how he wasn't able to do it as, you know, a moment of courage and honesty. I, I saw it the other way. I mean, if you can't fix this issue in your hometown, how are you going to do it in the United States? Interesting. And don't forget that you can see the next Democratic primary debates right here on CNN. That will be July 30th and July 31st. We'll be live in Detroit, Michigan. Coming up from Congress to K Street, the new push to stop former members of Congress from cashing in on their old jobs as lobbyists. That story next. In our buried lead now, those are stories not getting enough attention. When lawmakers leave their post on Capitol Hill, you might think they'd be done with the swamp for good. They'd head for the hills. But in fact, many of them move just down the street to work as lobbyists and use their hill connections to rake in the big bucks working for big name corporations. Freshman Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is trying to put an end to the age-old career transition. And as CNN's Manu Raju now reports, she's found an unlikely ally. As a senator, David Vitter railed against the swamp. It's all about lobbying. It's all about ethics. But now that the Louisiana Republican has been out of office for more than two years, he's part of the Washington lobbying culture he once railed against. Lobbying for chemical, energy, and pharmaceutical firms, while even registering as a foreign agent to lobby on behalf of companies tied to a Russian oligarch close to Vladimir Putin as he rubbed elbows near the Senate floor recently with Louisiana Senator Bill Cassidy. Vitter then returned to Cassidy's office, where he had stored his luggage, a perk many lobbyists do not enjoy. He didn't want to talk about it with CNN. I'm in the middle of a meeting right now, so I'm going to Is it appropriate to be cashing in on your position, sir? Thank you. Is it appropriate to lobby for Russian oligarchs? Can you talk about why you think it's appropriate to be lobbying, sir? There are 323 former lawmakers from both parties now who are registered lobbyists. A 2016 study shows the last three decades have seen more than a third of departing House members and more than 40 percent of former senators registering to lobby. In between meetings in the Senate Dirksen building, CNN caught up with Republican senator-turned-lobbyist Norm Coleman, who defended his work. I think the First Amendment's a wonderful thing. I hope we're doing a service, and, and I enjoy doing it. But there's a vocal contingent in Congress that disagrees. I think banning members of Congress from becoming lobbyists is one way to help restore the public's confidence that this place is working for them. Liberal firebrand Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Texas conservative Senator Ted Cruz are working together to root out the practice. And that would be much harder for corporations and special interests to do on their own. Washington for a long time has had a culture of corruption. Uh, and I think the American people are fed up with it. Former members turned lobbyists have access that regular lobbyists don't, like attending this prayer breakfast on the first floor of the Capitol with top senators. 
former Democratic Senator Mark Pryor, a partner at a Washington law and lobbying firm, and one-time Republican Senator, now lobbyist, Tim Hutchinson, both were there. They say, like, you're cashing in on your, your, your influence from what you gained as a public servant. I'm fine with whatever rules they want to, they want to pass. I think America is a free country, and people are always going to be trying to talk to, advocate, lobby their elected officials. Feet from the Senate floor last week, former Senator-turned-lobbyist Trent Lott greeted senators in an area off-limits to the public. Lott called efforts to ban members from becoming lobbyists ridiculous, telling CNN, after you leave the Senate, what are you going to be, a brain surgeon? Not everyone on Capitol Hill is ready to crack down. Good lobbyists bring you information. It would be hard to dictate to people what their chosen career field should be. And at the moment, it's not even an issue top leaders are concerned about. Would you support legislation to prevent lawmakers from eventually becoming lobbyists? No, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. And Jake, one reason why we're seeing David Vitter on Capitol Hill is that he is through that two-year cooling-off period that was mandated preventing former senators from lobbying their colleagues. And that was mandated by the 2007 ethics law. And Jake, David Vitter was one of 83 senators to vote for that law. Jake? Of course he was. Manu Raju, thanks so much. On July 4th week, a battle over these Nike sneakers with the Betsy Ross American flag. That's next. This is CNN Breaking News. And breaking news, we've just learned that the Justice Department has informed plaintiffs in the census case that the Trump administration plans to print the 2020 census without that controversial citizenship question. The Supreme Court last week rejected the Trump administration's reasoning for including the question. President Trump had previously suggested the administration might delay the census altogether. Quick reaction if we can. Sarah, are you surprised? Uh You know, not entirely. I mean, this is a blow to the Trump administration, but I think they were running up against their own deadline. They had obviously run up against a number of judges, not just the Supreme Court, who said they weren't going to greenlight this move, essentially because all of the the document trails showed it was a political power grab, and Wilbur Ross and the government were trying to to cast it as something else. And I think that's where the government got themselves in trouble in terms of the litigation surrounding this. And had this actually gone through, it was estimated that some 8 million people would have gone unreported uh, had this question been included on the census specifically in uh, populations where, or states where there's heavy Latino populations. No surprise. There's one deadline when it comes to census. This isn't like congressional uh, redistricting when you can do it, well, two years later, or two years later, or two years later. I mean, it has a huge impact. It's obviously a bad for President Trump and Wilbur Ross, certainly, but it's done every 10 years, and it determines things like aids and aid and assistance to communities. So if 8 million people were not participating, that would have had a huge impact. This is definitely a positive step. And also determines congressional seats. It also determines congressional seats, that which is, too. of course, why people thought it was a power grab. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.